This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. Good afternoon, and welcome to Suite 2 on 2, a show that puts the arts in their social, cultural and political contexts here on London's Resonance 104.4 FM. This programme is coming to you live and for free. If you like what you hear on Resonance, please do support us by setting up a regular donation. That's the best way to help us make long-term plans to maintain our community radio facilities and to support our many broadcasters. Please visit fundraiser.resonance.fm and set up a regular donation. I'm Tom Overton, and today we're talking about Bomb Culture, Jeff Nuttall's 1968 book on the society, culture and politics of the 1960s, and how they were shaped by the threat of nuclear annihilation, and also the sense of guilt which opened up when, on the August the 6th and 9th, 1945, atomic bombs were dropped on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. In the chaos that followed, it's difficult to make sense uh, of even the amount of people killed, never mind those who were permanently traumatised, but the dead numbered somewhere in the range of 90 uh, to 146,000 in Hiroshima and 39 to 80,000 in Nagasaki. Though the weapons themselves were dropped by the United States, under the terms of the Quebec Agreement, both the technology and the decision to use it had the backing of the UK government. In Nussel's view, the righteous pride with which the Allies had celebrated defeating the Nazis in Victory in Europe Day on the 8th of May 1945 was replaced a few months later by the shame of Victory in Japan Day. The first victory, uh, Nussel writes, was a victory confirming our merits and security. The second victory destroyed them irrevocably. He continued, the destination, as far as art is concerned, is the journey itself. Art keeps the thing moving. The only true disaster is the end of the journey, the end of man and his development. This is what we are currently threatened with. It is not the first time we've been threatened with extinction, but it is the first time extinction has been probable. If we get on, out and on, it will be by art, always. It can sometimes get boring to talk about how rad and interesting the 1960s were. But looking at the way yesterday's mail on Sunday was attempting to conjure the spirit of Dunkirk in relation to the Conservative Party's attempts to deliver Brexit, and certainly the way Churchill's role has been discussed recently, uh, we get a sense of how much English culture at least has fixated on that first European victory and completely forgotten about the second. But we're certainly not out of the woods in terms of the possibility of nuclear war, and we've since added the possibility of achieving a similar kind of man-made catastrophe through climate change. So it's excellent, I think, that Strange Attractive Press have recently reissued Bomb Culture on its 50th anniversary, uh, which is also the f- 1968 was the 50th anniversary of the end of the First World War, which on which the book also has much to say. The new edition includes a foreword by Ian Sinclair, an afterword by Maria Fusco, and a useful glossary explaining some of the references. It has an introduction by its editors, Nussel's friend, the playwright, journalist, and magazine editor J. Jeff Jones, and by Douglas Field, who I'm delighted to say is one of my guests in the studio today. Hello. Hi. Uh, Douglas is senior lecturer in 20th century Amer- American literature at the University of Manchester and the author of All Those Strangers, The Art and Lives of James Baldwin. He's also co- co-founding editor of the James Baldwin Review, a contributor, contributing editor at the A-Line, a journal of progressive thought, and a regular contributor to the Times Literary Supplement. My other equally delightful d- guest uh, is the uh, question, the book in question's publisher, Jamie Suckler from Strange Attractor Press. Hey, uh, Jamie also co-edits Aorist. Is that, is that, that's uh, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be unpronounceable. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> we'll tweet a, a link to the actual thing so you can see okay, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a new journal of art writing uh, and Berserker, an anthology of weird comics and unabashed genre work, published by Breakdown Press, and does his own writing for Art Monthly, Freeze, Rhizome, The White Review, and Eros Journal. Thank you both. Thank I'm you. talk less uh, from now on. Uh, Douglas, can you start us off by explaining a little bit about Jeff Nottle himself? Uh, his output was a lot broader than just writing. Yeah, Jeff was a polymath, which I think is one reason why he's been overlooked in some ways. I think we don't, in this country, historically we sort of punish people who are good at many things. Mm. And uh, he was uh, a prolific um, artist, um, sculptor, um, a very talented poet, technically very good, I think. He wrote novels and novellas. He wrote um, books on theory. Um, you mentioned Bomb Culture, which came out in 68, but he um, 
wrote in total about 40 books. Um, most of them are, are out of print, um, with the exception of Bomb Culture, of course, and an anthology of his fiction. So Nuttall is um, and, and, and was a, a very vibrant figure. Um, he seemed to be uh, in the right place at the right time, I think. Um, and a lot of his work was galvanized by the threat of nuclear extinction that you talk about that you talked about at the beginning so he's very active in the Aldermaster marches in 1958 where he played his cornet he was a very good uh, I should mention he's very he's a, a, a accomplished actor as well as a musician as well so that that for him was something that was really worth um, fighting for and, and joining forces with people so he's very active and believed that art should come out of something deeply connected to um, the anti-war movement, so, so the burgeoning CND movement. He was then um, very active in the Writers' Forum. Um, he uh, set up a, a small publisher's workshop with Bob Cobbing and um, John Rowan and published um, works, uh, what were they, the, the, the um, Writers' Forum published works by Allen Ginsberg, John Cage, um, Eric Mottram and, and, and many others. I could go on, but there's a couple of other highlights that, that, to, to mention. Um, and just one illustration of perhaps why he's forgotten uh, to a certain extent. Um, so in June 1965, um, where a lot of the American beats were in town, Allen Ginsberg, um, Ferdinand Getty, um, there was a sort of hastily put on together poetry event, one of the largest poetry events ever to have happened in this country, uh, the Albert Hall, the International Poetry Incarnation. And... Ginsburg was there slightly drunk as a sort of uh, a kind of countercultural court jester. Alexander Trocki, who we'll probably mention later on, was the compare, kind of strange sort of, sort of, sort of schoolmasterly kind of role. Um, there are about 20 poets from about nine, ten different countries. And it was um, either the, the greatest poetry reading ever, Michael Horowitz, or Barry Miles, the, the, the Burroughs biographer, amongst many other books, as it was the worst poetry event he'd <laughs> ever been to. But it was extremely important in terms of, of, of a sort of countercultural moment. Mm. Um, Nuttall was supposed to appear with the uh, artist John Latham, and they'd carefully crafted a performance piece where they, were, they would cover themselves in blue paint and stick bits of books to their naked torsos, and they would wrestle. Um, it sounds like a kind of strange dream that I had once, but it, this is this was actually planned. And the well, what happens that the, the paint plug, uh, clogged their pores and 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 they passed out, and so they they didn't come on stage. The the, the, the film that was made, Holy Communion, by Peter Whitehead, has become a kind of a bit of a you know sort of classic, and and it's it, it, you know, people who are on that film have done well from it. So there's the footage of of Gregory Corso and Ferlinghetti and Ginsberg and Trocchi uh, and others. But Nuttall not being there was just a kind of mm. uh, uh, illustrative, I think, of, of his, an example where his timing wasn't good or mm. it's just unfortunate. So he's been sort of overlooked, I think. Although the, on the, I was reminded by you telling the story about him being painted up and the uh, and the pores being blocked in his body uh, of, uh, of Goldeneye and James Bond. Yes, he's painted. And the, the, absolutely, the connect, yes. The connection there is actually more that um, listeners may have actually seen uh, Jeff Nuttall in uh, his sort of on-screen work. Yes, he, he so so Nuttall uh, was um, did some uh, performances with with Lenny Henry um, before before Lenny Henry was a kind of Shakespearean actor of serious as it now is because I think quite a good actor. Um, he was in uh, he was Fry Tuck. He did sort of character acting. You know, mm. he's a, he a you know large guy. And that can he, look in a lot of the sort of like biographical writing about every, everyone put chubby in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. yeah which I, seems I, like he's, he seems obviously seemed to be okay with it because like it's enormous, like really serious, like he, he didn't, he a, didn't, he didn't, he didn't seem to mind. He he was um, uh, he, he's very much a sort of pub going, um, you know, sort of uh, flat cap wearing kind of uh, very very kind of down to earth northern guy. You know, it's Clitheroe, um, uh in Lancashire. Uh, and he was, um, but yeah, quite a big guy as well. I mean, you've seen, mm. seen the f some funny pictures of him and William Burroughs, and they collaborated. Mm. And Burroughs is, is, is there. You know, Burroughs was would, would drink sort of vodka and coke, and, and, and was trying to kick heroin in the sixties. Um, but but you know, el hombre invisible, you know, barely there. 
and and uh, Nuttall was there, you know, sort mm. of you know, flatulent and not caring. You know, is it sort of very, very different? And, and, and Burroughs is there with his sharply tailored suits, and and, and, and Nuttall's a picture of Nuttall wearing a belt, which he clearly didn't need. You know, it was just, <laughs> it was just kind of redundant. Um, but the film-wise, yes. Yeah, so, so the film that the, that you're referring to is is the classic 1999 film, "The World Is Not Enough," with Pierce Brosnan, one of my personal favourites. <laughs> and he plays Dr. Arkoff, a Russian atomic scientist. So there's a nice um, intertextual reference, perhaps from <laughs> from Barbara Broccoli, um, putting a nice little. Uh, Reference back from Jeff's CND days, so he then plays this, uh, and he's bumped off by Robert Carlyle, uh, who plays a villain who has a, a bullet lodged in his brain, yeah. and the bullet is, of course, uh, moving closer and closer uh, to to kill him. And, and, and you know, I, I wasn't have seen it, but yeah, so he does play. Uh, he, he plays he's a, a, a Russian atomic scientist, um, and yeah, Fry Tuck was the other one that I remember. That gives you a sense of his. Incredible range. Yeah, yeah incredible yeah. range. Could, could yeah. I just chip in? Yeah, uh, of yeah No, it just, just occurred to me that um, Nuttall had a kind of prehistory as a as an, an actor in a transgressive performance troupe called yeah. The People Show. Absolutely. But um, we've never really talked about this, Doug, but I wondered if, if just um, mapping something of that transition from sort of transgressive, very kind of bodily yeah. performance through to, um, you know, big screen performance and, and television work, do you think there was... Um, maybe kind of an agenda at play there in terms of an infiltration of televisual media or do you, do you think there was a kind of politics at play there or do you think he was just rebuilding himself as a jobbing actor at that point? I, I think, I, I like to think it's the former, that that more kind of uh, exciting countercultural creative. I think he was mm. just needed the cash yeah. towards the end. But I think, I think nonetheless, it, I think the <laughs> fact that, that um, but I think you've got a, a, an important point that his, he's very interested in the theatre of... Um, Cruelty, uh, Arto mm. and, and people. He's very interested in the kind of physicality. And um, there's one performance where he, uh, for example, he 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 was he cut a hole in the sheet and, and his penis was was on display, um, and and so people didn't know if that was real or, or not. For <laughs> example, you know, um, there's a kind of sexual politics that we might touch on. You know, he he mm. was not um, uh, someone who was favoured by second wave feminists. Um, you know, I think of someone like Valerie Solanas's Scum Manifesto, which which was published in, I think it's '67, the year before. Although there is actually a, a connection, you can actually connect those more closely because um, Scum Manifesto was published in book form by Maurice Girodias, mm. who who had published Trocky and Trocky's Pornography. Mm. So there's a kind of a lot of these things in, are interlinked. Um, but we might come back to that. I think mm. the, um, the the sexual politics mm. later. Yeah, that's that's. Certainly, something to to maybe return to when we think about uh, bomb culture, sort of now in this new edition, uh, and you know, rereading it in 2018, uh, 2019. Yeah, rookie. Uh, but so, but before we get there, maybe um, we could talk a bit about the kind of the texture of the book itself and like what it's like reading it because it is a mm. very strange book. Um, and maybe Jamie, I, I know, you know we talked about uh, the the your writing and sort of editing work and sort mm. of. Um, from the perspective of someone who's um, interested in the sort of the combination of genres and disciplines, could you tell you a bit about the texture of the yeah, the, the totally book, yeah. Know? I mean, it's it's a book that I came to as as an art writer, mm. right? It's it's a book that I came to um, for its exploration of style and mm. the way that it fused um, an analytical art historical approach with a, a kind of very sort of specifically acerbic um, act of disaffiliation. But mm. Nuttall was trying to sort of separate himself from. Um, the kind of political and countercultural movements that had, um, I guess, gestated through the latter half of the 1960s mm. and was trying to think through new ways forward in terms of uh, maybe kind of artistic insurrection reaction um, or direct action. Mm. Um, so I, I came to it initially purely in terms of style, and it was, mm. it was through partly through Maria Fusco's mention of it in mm. her ideal syllabus column for Freeze a number mm. of years back, but also just through my, my kind of rabid sort of bibliophilic tendencies roving around bookshops in London. And mm. Paladin, who, who published the book, had very sort of distinctive spines and very kind of narrow format. Mm. Um, and it was a book that always kind of jumped out at me whenever I, I saw it. And mm. then I guess also had this incredible payoff in terms of putting me in touch with a, a history that I you know, until that point had been completely obfuscated, this mm. amazing international network of 
uh, small press practitioners and mm. um, yeah it was a real kind of window into a, a kind of an area of practice that I, I, I was completely bowled over by yeah because um, it, it, so it kind of mixes um, the kind of the art historical and sort of mu- musical historical kind of comment, mm. commentary and kind of draws up uh, I mean there's a, he talks for a lot a lot of time about sort of um, a certain moment of modernism in Cuba, Cubism during the, mm. the the First World War, and then draws this sort of—I mean, having gone all the way back to the 18th century—and draws this sort of yeah, this yeah. history all the way up to the present. Uh, uh, well, the present then being the 1960s, but then also sort of intersp- throws in bits of just straightforwardly kind of autobiographical mm. writing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's a w- in terms of his kind of partial art historical analysis. The thing that's quite interesting about it is that he's. He's focusing on very specific moments in in terms of the European avant-garde, um, but just sort of testing its potential, right, for for subversion. Like mm-hmm. it's it, all these all these kind of activities and and movements have um, different potencies that he's very quick to kind of extrapolate and then sort of mm. reject as he's building this kind of mm. pro- almost kind of pro- programmatic approach to to action. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of the republication, I mean that's the, that's the thing that's really interesting for, for us. I think Doug, just looking at how mm. um, it might kind of stimulate certain resonances now and what kind of readership it might it might find now. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think th- yeah, I, I'm, look, I'm hoping it will stimulate. And I think that the writing is, uh, I think he's a superb prose writer. There's a kind of energy, there's a brio to the writing, which is uh, which is great, and especially. If you're, you know, if you've got the misfortune to read um, academic books or books by academics, for the most part, where it can be a little, you know, the ideas can be great, but it can be a little, little leaden, a little lumpen. Um, Jeff's pro style is 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 very vervy. At times, because he writes with this energy and this sense of nowness, I mean, there's a real urgency with the, you know, the threat of the bomb. That he, I don't think he was too. Uh, it's almost as if sort of fact-checking and uh, you know spelling correctly is a bit bourgeois or a bit kind of you know a bit too too establishment in some way so so it was littered with errors it's one thing we, we, we spend a lot of time correcting mm. uh, not his style not not you know or, or pointing out uh, bits where I mean, he never went to America uh, North America so he had these sort of occasionally fanci- fanciful ideas about what was going on he had a broad sense with the you know about, about what was going on with the beats but then mm. he would he would kind of confuse venice beach and san francisco and, and, and things like that the other thing to, to, that, that uh, is striking i think if you if you go back and read norma mailer's adver- advertisements advertisements for myself and others uh from the late 1950s the the style is very um similar to 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 what um Nuttall was was doing so there's a kind of interested in an interest in psychoanalysis in violence and the mm. male is the white negro um and also a kind of emergency immediacy and personal take um so Mailer kind of writes himself very much into the prose as Nuttall does mm. but occasionally uh it, it also like Mailer it can be very clunky when it comes to racial and sexual politics mm. so so mm. Uh, Nuttall has kind of read um, the beats, and the beats, of course, weren't the most um, sympathetic or sensitive, um, you know, to to African Americans. You know, Kerouac saying, "You know, I wish I was a uh, uh, African American picking cotton," and, and, and mm. James Baldwin later saying, "Well, try reading that in Harlem uh, on a, on a Saturday night and see mm. see what the reaction is." Mm. And, and Nuttall actually kind of <coughs> takes on some of that clunky. Uh, mm. rhetoric mm. about race and particularly with 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 gender i mean J- we talked about this as we were working on the book jamie the, the, yeah 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 i mean he 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 he's got a, a sort of profound faith in transgression right mm. like that's something that kind of comes up repeatedly throughout the book but you get the sense reading it in 2019 that um the transgression is on his terms mm. right and and for him um i guess the sexual liberation of the 1960s was something that was available to all it wasn't something that um he perceived as being I guess, kind of fractured mm. and mm. experienced differently by different groups. So, you know, mm. I think you, you make a good point to this, actually, Doug, in the, in the introduction where you just talk about the distribution of labour within sort of small press activities and um, publishing things like the International Times. There was a, you know, a rhetoric of liberation that guided those publications, but within them you had, um, I guess, sort of hierarchies that were replicating, yeah. I guess, sort of staid norms of, of, of sexual, uh, you know, gendered repression. Mm. So. Yeah, you do, yeah, absolutely, and I think there's been interesting work in, in the Black Panthers, for example, where some of the more prominent, uh, or, or are now becoming more prominent female activists, uh, are getting rightly credited for the work that they did. He tended to be the kind of the, the kind of poster men 
and then the, 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 the kind of women doing a very important work behind the scenes. I think in, in, in Nuttall's case, in, with, with the publication of My Own Mag, which was um, a, a really important um, mimeographed magazine that is produced on, on, on a, uh, a sort of analog reproduction machine, sort of pre, pre-photocopier. So that ran for 17 issues from 63 to 66. He, he, he started that with Bob Cobbing, um, the, the, the writer and publisher, um, it was just the two of them. And then it was pretty much a, a, something he carried on with him, just, just him. It isn't the case, I'm relieved to say, at least to this instance, where he had lots of you know, partners uh, and, and you know, kind of female labor that was unacknowledged. But the, 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 in the very first issue of My Omag, uh, which, is, um, which you can see on the um, uh, website Reality Studio, where they've, they've been scanned, the, 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 there's a picture of the, there's a there's a at the front of a naked woman with exit only, and you know there's a, there's a kind of there's a kind of sexual politics which seems very um, schoolboyish mm. and you know pretty offensive actually now, mm. um, but it's also that can be a stumbling block, but it's something that we talked about, but hopefully something that will provoke discussion rather than mm. just mm. saying well I'm not going to read Nuttall because he's misogynistic. Yeah. That seems to me a little a little closed minded. That, that you, there are yes mm. to address issues with that, but then to kind of talk about that rather than um, you know close off discussion is my hope mm. anyway. Where do you think he inherits his sexual politics from? Because the the thing that really kind of came to the fore for me with the the exhibition that we curated at Flat Time House just before Christmas, which was focused on the, the material mm. um, sort of surrounding bomb culture, uh, was kind of Andre Masson and. Um, I guess this kind of peripheral, sort of dissident, surrealist yeah. t- take on on the kind of fragmented body, but I, I just wondered what you you thought the kind of heritage was there in terms of his thinking. I think I think that's an excellent point, and there are some connections with the with the and people people have written a lot on the misogyny of of, of in Dada and and, and surrealism. Mm. There's certainly an element of that. I think your point earlier is absolutely spot on that he thought that that sex that his ideas of sexual liberation you know rather than you know you, you can you can see it very differently through um through you know through through women's experiences mm. whereas jeff and i, I think in you know, others including adrian henry mm. were um wrote repeatedly about kind of schoolgirls and, and 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 you know adrian henry a little bit more i think um and there's something quite troubling about that but i think there's something um it's partly, as you were saying before, that he, he wants to transgress Nuttall uh, repeatedly. So if he gets wind that um, Doris Lessing, for example, who, who, who was quite upset by some of the book, if he can upset her, then he'll do something else to upset her. Mm. Um, because he wants to, he sees her as this kind of establishment. So mm. he saw certain positions of feminism as, as the establishment, you know, which is perhaps misguided, but there was something that, that made him want to... Uh, push buttons in that way because Lessing is um, it might be interesting to go into the sort of relationship between the book and Lessing because she's, she's quoted in it uh, and then there was yes. this sort of dialogue developed between the two of them I think yeah so so McGibbon and Keep uh, published published Lessing's work they published they, the, the, the original uh, hardback copy before Paladin published Bomb Culture in 1968 so it's a really beautiful um book and because of that Lessing was asked to read I think because of that connection I mean Lessing wasn't an obvious person to, to, to have been chosen but because of um, the shared publisher she's asked to read it and she objected to um, Nuttall's discussions of her relationship with the Communist Party mm. and to the way that he'd um, referred to the Golden Notebook mm. and he felt that there were absolutely rightly as Ian Sinclair uh, mentions in, in his forward a number of the um, factual errors so she was sort of unhappy on, on, mm. on the other, other than that she loved the book yeah she was mm. she was she, was, uh, she no, she hated it <laughs> do you, <laughs> do you think that Nuttall's um, perspective on that was a kind of class-based antagonism that, that he, he sort of perceived uh, her sort of flirtation with communism as a, as a kind of bourgeois affectation or I, I, I think that's probably absolutely right yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of that but I, that's, I yes it, yeah. no yeah. I think that, that that's that's smart but which is which is unfair in a way because that's something she you know extensively works through in in, in her writing The Good Terrorist and in, in The Golden Notebook that's like it's totally at the core of everything but mm. but yeah I think I think that is the, the, absolutely right and I think there's something where Nuttall will be involved in creative endeavours so the Writers Forum, uh, People Show, 
he was the co-founder of the People's Show, which is still going. That was 1966, I think. But politically, I mean, he, he would he would go to the older master marches, but then he wouldn't go further and sort of start joining other political organisations because I think he worried that it would become that if he became too involved in that, that it would be it would be an, a kind of mirroring of 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 the establishment that he was actually mm. fighting against. Well, there's a moment where he's, he's talking about the he's talking about sort of the anti the CN, CND and sort of the general sort of uh, more broader campaigns against uh, against nuclear weapons, and he almost sees um, party political affiliations mm. as being something that, that was something that split the movement and, and made its power. I mean, this is kind of the round the point he's talking about Lessing as well that, that, he, that he thought you know politics should have been kept out of it, which is. A, a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's right. And he, but he'd also seen figures like Arnold Wesker, who who would you know become became very famous. Somebody who he was, um, but then become sort of as far as Trocky and 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 Nettles thought that Wesker was becoming too much of an establishment figure. That he mm. was he was too involved in politics. So Wesker set up Centre Forty Two in the early nineteen sixties at the Roundhouse in Camden, which is an amazing space. Um, the Doors played there, for example. Jim Morrison said it was the best gig he ever played, but I think he said that about every gig. <laughs> um, Jimi Hendrix uh, played and so on and so forth, as well as performances as well. Um, Nuttle, um, Nuttle said that he was, uh, Wesker was putting the moral cart before the creative horse. Mm. And, and that was one aspect that he didn't like. And you see this with... Um, Trocky in, in, in his essay or his, 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 his um, portfolio, The Invisible Surrection of a Million Minds, he talked about um, the, the he, Trocky said he had no fan, fundamental quarrel with Wesker, um, but said that his work was limited and national in character. And so for Trocky was very interested, as Nuttall was, in connecting with fellow travellers, um, a coup de monde, not a coup d'etat, as Trocky calls it, right across the world and it's very specifically in Trocky's writing it's always very concerned with an internationalist approach you know he, he, he would be he's more of a Trotsky than, than, than I'm not sure if that, that's a good analogy but Trotsky <laughs> and, and you know in, in the international uh, idea of Trotsky in the way that yeah. Trotsky appealed to, to, to the New York intellectuals in that way so um, and that's the important thing to say about Nuttall I think that he was very much I would even go as far to say in fact, I have said it before. That he, he's one of the architects of the of, of the kind of countercultural movement in the 1960s, mm. um, and it's very hard to, to pinpoint exactly what that was. But he seems to be he, he's a pivotal figure who connects with William Burroughs. William Burroughs, in very early on in my own mag, starts sending him work and develops his cut-up um, technique there. Where this is the point where no one was really publishing Burroughs at all. Mm. Um, after uh, minutes to go, the early cut-up publication. Maybe it'd be useful to say a bit more about my own mag to kind of for listeners who don't. Yeah. Didn't know so, about that. Um, do you know? I would urge anyone to have a look at it on on Reality Studio. You can that they've scanned them and you can see all seventeen issues. We'll so post, we'll post some links afterwards. Yes. Okay. Great. Um, so it's it has uh, cartoons, poems. Um, it has it. If you look at the index of names, it's like a who's who of a kind of roll call of of, of writers from Alan. You've got people like Alan Ginsberg. Um, you have B. S. Johnson. B. S. Johnson mm. wrote writes a little uh, ditty that Coleridge hated Cologne. I've been to Cologne and I hate Coleridge. Uh, there's German avant-garde writers who experimented with with cut-ups. Karl Weisner, who was uh, a really important figure um, as a translator. Of, of Burroughs and, and Bukowski and, and, and others, but also as, a, as an avant-garde um, writer. And he had a, his, uh, his own little magazine called Clacto. There's a longer version, but but, but I can't pronounce it. Um, Robert Creeley, Ginsburg, and most importantly, Burroughs. And this was, but Burroughs was experimenting with his cut-up um, technique in, in my own mag, and it arguably really, was 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 the most central um, forum for him. It was like a kind of laboratory where he could he could get feedback very quickly and um, develop it. So I think and they you know they 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 got on well. Um, there's there's a, there's a there's a slightly awkward meeting where 
Burroughs, uh, Nuttall's a bit nervous when he meets uh, Burroughs and they go to a pub and he walks into the in, into the ladies instead of the gents and feels just a bit kind of awkward about it. Uh, this is really one of the sort of the moments of memoir in the, in the yes. book that I was sort of just talking about. Yeah, and he kind of gets very drunk. I think there's a bit, he, gets, he gets drunk on pints where, where um, Burroughs is drinking gin. Uh, yeah, and there's a kind of class thing, you know, because Burroughs has got, you know, his, his uh, uh, Oxford Brooks tailored suit and 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 it's very sharp and and, uh and and nuttle isn't and he's kind of and there is a nuttle wants to just be in a pub having a chat you know Mm. Uh, and and um so so and so and he meets anthony bolch who's who's an old etonian extremely tall and and sort of striking but imposing Mm. and and it's the person that that nuttle feels uh, uncomfortable around i think so socially it's very awkward that's sort of another sort of strange thing about about nuttle's biography that his brother was ad nuttle the shakespearean scholar who was a sort of you know became sort of uh, you know a really established presence in so he still is a sort of well-regarded shakespearean scholar and was a sort of you know kind of oxford um huge figure yeah amazing family um at the exhibition at Flat Time House, uh, John Latham's um, old studio, um, which is amazing. Uh, we, someone, a figure walks in just like Nuttall, it was one of Nuttall's um, nephews, and it was, <laughs> it was a very striking family, mm-hmm. and he, he's done something brilliant, some, some sort of scientist as well, mm-hmm. so they've, they've, uh, they're, they're quite a remarkable family. Mm. The, so, Back to the kind of the edition itself. Uh, you were talking, Jamie, about the sort of the aesthetic of the original sort of Paladin edition. It mm, seems mm. you kind of, you've sort of tried to recreate some of that. I think. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a conflation of both versions. The original hardback, uh, which we borrowed the cover from, yeah. um, which I think has Nuttall's own hand-lettered title on, which I, I really like. In the original, it's a kind of acid green, yeah. but we didn't end up reproducing that. And then the interior is sort of modelled on the Paladin edition but yeah. um, I think J. Jeff Jones who's the, the books of the um, editor made an interesting point when we were putting it together and that we shouldn't really be thinking about this as the same book right like the, mm. the original one was written in haste it mm. had a kind of provisional quality to it whereas this one is um, I guess dependent to some extent on archival materials it's, it's mm. illustrated mm. it has um, a glossary which was something we seemed um, to think it was really important to do the original mm. reads as a kind of litany of, of names of, of you know movers and shakers in the mm. international underground but pursuing those links today is is you know relatively impossible so mm. um there's a kind of an appendix which has this resource in where you can pursue biographical information for all of these different artists and activists because it's funny when you, when you were saying uh right at the beginning that you you first if i remember correctly you came across it through um the recommendation of maria fusco's mm. ideal syllabus mm. but there is a sort of it does sometimes read a bit like a, a personal syllabus of mm. what mm. nuttall thinks mm. is interesting yeah. yeah you know across forms uh, and across sort of historical periods mm. Mm. And I yeah yeah no i think it is and and I, one element that i, I it's puzzled me for ages um when, when you read it is that there's in, in the italicized sections there, so most of the books Roman, the Italicized sections, there are references to uh, Tomasos, who, who, who's Crichton Tomasos, mm. still alive, and he, I believe, was what well, is a, a Greek Cypriot artist and architect, and he was involved with Nuttall and Trocchi and and, and and several others in a big installation um, at Better Books. Um, called Stigma, not to be confused with with uh, Trocky's Sigma, uh, although clearly they intended it to confuse. And so, uh, a lot of that book is 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 addressed to and is about Tomasos, where there's a kind of there's a kind of argument going on that that, that Nuttall articulates, and it's a really particular way of writing, um, which I find very very uh engaging and compelling because it kind of gives you a little slice it really does feel like a, a diary and there's bits where he's just incredibly um hacked off with with with, with tomasus and, and he's mm. just kind of raging events about him and then there's there's a bit at the end where tomasos um starts producing a kind of fake my own mag after my own mag has has um finished its, its 17th issue and he says to to Ardy Lang, I, I just don't know what to do. And then, <laughs> and then Lang says, uh, you know, bearing in mind Lang is psychiatrist, says, well, he's just gone nuts. There's, there's, you just have to let him, you know, 
just let him go. Don't do anything. You know, don't avoid him kind of thing. So there's a kind of there's the, 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 these these deeply personal moments, um, and and you know, I think some of it is probably exaggerated. Some you know, we 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 don't know, but um, it's it, I, in terms of style, I think it's 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 really up there as as, as a work of of, of of prose. I think. Yeah. Well, uh Sorry, oh, no, I was just going to say, just just to come back to my own mag, actually, it's um, it's it comparatively an incredibly lucid piece of work, and it's it's sort of um, interesting to look at the the rest of of Nuttall's work as as an exercise in sort of destabilizing literature. Mm. And one of the most interesting things for me about my own mag is is just the form, the way that it experiments with uh, the formal qualities of publishing. It's mm. it's more mm. of a sculptural object than it is a kind of a piece of printed matter. Mm. It's one that um, mm. requires a different forms of um, you know manual articulation and disassembly in mm. order to get some kind of meaning out of it. And if you look at um, Nuttall's other sort of dis discrete uh, bodies of text in, in publications like, um, is it Comeback Sweet Prints? Mm. I think that Aloha's Press, uh, Jim Pennington published. Um, you have to invent a way of reading to encounter the book. It's like mm. every single gesture is, um, is one that requires a different form of interpretation that's mm. sort of dependent on the form of the publication itself. So, um, yeah, with Maya Mag, I think it's one of those things where um, there was a real... Kind of impetus to just sort of destabilize not only the, the the sort of typed form of literature but also the the kind of carrier the thing that was kind of you know taking that text to the reader mm. well it certainly makes sense that he would be in uh networks which include people like bs johnson mm. and more mm. coming and john latham yeah. As well. yeah 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 they they, they, they yeah they, they, there was a pretty amazing um group of people that would that, that, that seemed to, to to kind of gel around these these issues the, with with Maya Mag, um, I think it's absolutely right the, the way he described it, Jamie. Is Nuttall describes it as a as a as a paper exhibition with words. He had this, so there's mm. that sense of it really being a, a kind of object as well, and it's um, it is quite difficult to read. I mean, you, you sort of see, and it's so there's comic strips that that, that um, run through it. Perfume Jack is is one of them. Uh, Nuttall had done uh, had had written a comic because very 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 important in terms of of, of comics as well. Um, CDB in, in in IT International Times, and he was he was he was sort of involved in that right from the beginning as well. But yeah, my mic is quite difficult to read, and you have um, Burroughs I mentioned, you know, experimenting. You have uh, occasionally gets his brother Nuttall, Nuttall's brother does one or two little pieces, uh, and then you have some of Robert Creeley, which seems a bit out of place with with, with the Burroughs stuff, uh, and then Burroughs begins editing a section of it uh, called the Moving Times. And some of the sections, uh, some of the issues, sorry, are, are just just Nuttall and Burroughs. So it becomes a kind of, um, it, it kind of evolves or devolves into something, um, you know, very different from from the early uh, issues. Did, mm. did Trocky have his own publication called Moving Times, he, which was it was intended to be read from tube trains? Yes, right? yes. Yeah. So so Trocky, um, the Moving Times, it, I, th there were several Moving Times and. The Moving Times, there's the Moving Times, which is the section that Burroughs edited, which was a kind of cut-up insert that, that that was part of my own mag. And that was where, you know, Burroughs was uh, increasingly interested in newspapers and, and, and how... how mm. and figures like Henry Luce, who, who, who uh, owns um, Sports Illustrated and, and Time magazine and, and and so forth. So people a, a bit like the the kind of Murdochs of 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 of, of the of the forties and fifties sixties who who could control so much media. And Burroughs is fascinated by that and just that the, the power um, that 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 could be um, kind of abused and manip manipulated. So you know, hence cutting up and and to, to kind of destroy that association with power and language. The Trocky uh, idea was was Trocky as part of Project Sigma, which is a sort of countercultural um, awareness raising project, which never really took off. Um, yeah, he, the Moving Times was um, I've, I've got a copy of it at home. It where they it was a, a, in the format of a newspaper, and it's Burroughs, Nuttall, and Trocky. And you're right that the idea was they tried to rent some space, mm -hmm. advertising mm -hmm. space uh, in, in the underground. And so the idea that instead of seeing seeing adverts for I don't know like uh, Mayfair cigarettes or you know in the great days when when, when you could see adverts for cigarettes, uh, that you'd see this and and mm -hmm. and which is a fascinating idea of using using the kind of the structure of 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 capitalism and advertising, 
but you know, rather than trying to completely subvert it, use it. And I think I always find that as a fascinating idea. You know, so is it sort of, is this is a sort of like extremely watered down version of art in the underground, or like there's yeah, yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Um, the poems that, that, yeah, that well, poems put yes. on tube trains. There's, there's an amazing. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going I'm to sort of plug it, but uh, Mackenzie Walks book, um, uh, The Beach Beneath the Street, which is the first mm. volume of this um, attempt to. I guess survey the prehistory of situationism mm. talks mm. about um, Trocky's kind of ambitions and his kind of progressive attitude towards emergent media, um, but he makes this link, um, which I think Fred Fred Turner does in in a different way in the book um, from counterculture to cyberculture about these different activities becoming I guess in, innovations that actually inform the next kind of evolution of capital, in a mm. way that um, maybe diff- the form of production or the kind of model of precarious labour that Trocky embodied actually provided a model for different kinds of, of labour now, right? There's a, I, I don't know if you let me read it, but there's, yeah, there's sure a, great, a great paragraph that I thought um, illustrated it perfectly. Um, but yeah, I can, I can blast through this quite quickly. Um, but it goes back to the Sigma texts and, and what um, Trocky was attempting to do with those, with this portfolio. Uh, but Mackenzie Walk writes, um, the Sigma texts are part manifesto, part manual, the practical side to Trocky's proposal is the means of funding it. Project Sigma is not just a university, it's also an agency for what Yorn, that's Asker Yorn, um, called the creative elite. Those who join it become part of an agency controlled by the creators themselves. Sigma lives off residuals, patents, commissions, even what one would now call consultancy fees. Its network of spontaneous universities function as advertisements for themselves. One might almost say they are brands. Trocky's solution is a weird kind of Leninist dual power. An autonomous, self-managed, unalienated power of seamless creativity exists alongside the old, commodified spectacle until such time as it can subsume it within the new means of creation. It's both science fiction and a business plan, a utopian future and an almost exact description of sophisticated, spectacular business in the 21st century. It could almost be the model for the Blue Ant Agency of Hubertus Bigend, that's a fictional son of a situationist, in the novels of William Gibson. It's a summation of Trocky's own extraordinary experience, yet it's also a programme he was in no sense fit to carry out in person, uh, which I think is, is the kind of core of the, um, the sort of turbulent relationship between Nuttall and, and Trocky, is that on, on the one hand, Trocky uh, is this kind of um, heroin-addled idealist, and Nuttall is the kind of um, the pragmatist, right? The, the guy who's always kind of taking what he can from each movement, but then working through it and kind of just producing more and building more connections. Um, but yeah, I thought that might be an interesting yeah, sort of dynamic to talk about. I think, um, I mean, I'm not sure if it's sort of di- directly speaking to what you're saying, it kind of is, that um, it, what I found quite interesting about the, the sort of the texture of what bomb culture is, is the way that often you slip into something that you only realise halfway through is a quotation. And then mm-hmm. the, the, his use of quotation is very, I mean, it seems very deliberate. And like yeah. there must have been yeah. sort of, uh, part of that, I mean, it's kind of almost related to he's thinking about it as cut up and kind of like there being no clearly definable boundaries between his own sort of prose and, and that of others. Yeah, I, th- I think from from a kind of editorial point of view, um, in his there are, there are lots of footnotes, well, one or two on every page, but there there are no page numbers, and so it's kind of there's a kind of nod to that, mm. and he actually does that in 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 some of his novellas as well, like Snipe Spinster which is a book um, which really, well, just to re- rewind for, for a moment, Bomb Culture was a, a work that made Nuttall famous for being being part of the countercultural movement. Really, as he explains in, in the conclusion, he was um, trying to distance himself from it, but it had that kind of, if he was forever associated with mm. it. Uh, and one of, the, one of the interesting things he says at the end is... is um, that he he really wants to distance himself from from the influence of the United States as well as a mm. kind of very specific thing, um, but the you know the 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 the, uh, the work is um, inspired. It's like Spinster, which is a novella that comes out um, in 1975, I think, is very much about the failure. There's a, there's a very explicit discussions of a revel of a kind of gun that didn't go off properly, revolution at half cock. Um, and lots of sort of sexual and militaristic kind of um, images. Um, and that also has, you know, references in a similar way to, to although it's a, it's a novella. But then there are kind of, if you actually trace them, sometimes the books are, you know, they're inaccurate and, and so mm. forth. In terms of the quotation, I think you're right that there's a kind of layer, a layering or a kind of collage of, of quotations so that um, it becomes a cacophony of voices. Mm. Uh, but I think that's also why... 
in those italicized sections that 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 kind of allows the reader to to, to kind of be steered through the book mm. the italicized sections uh are generally sort of the memoir sections yes like the, yeah, yes sort of yeah there were kind of uh, at the end the sort of head of chapters there are these sort of explanatory sort of like boxes which seem almost like something from like a kind of 17th century treaties or <laughs> yes yeah there's some very idiosyncratic uh bits but and, and i think that i, I don't know who uh, who edited the book i mean i don't think that there was you know we be very fortunate to have an excellent editor but the the um the uh you know there's there isn't uh much sense that he got any any sort of direction with that but I like it all the more for that, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a kind of it captures the energy as we were saying at the beginning. I suppose um, one of the the other things, as well as sort of um, bringing in uh, the sort of texture of other people's work, it sort of the way it brings in sort of suddenly sort of very. And you're talking about the news media, sort of bits of um, current affairs on a very day to day sort of um, English basis. There's a bit where he suddenly starts talking about the, the Moors murders. Yeah. Uh, and makes the sort of extremely uh, uh, striking and uh, memorable claim that, um, or a comparison rather between the Moors murderers and the crew, say, of an American B-52 during Vietnam. And, and the goon show yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the, the Moors murders reconceived as a, as a kind of absurdist comedy troupe. Like yeah. That's the, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it, he, he was quite, I mean, he's really obsessed, perhaps too strong word, but... I think the the Moors one was was such a it was such an extreme moment uh, where people who didn't necessarily believe in in, in a kind of uh, Manichaean moral good and uh, good and evil and so forth start, started to really question. I think it, the, the the Jamie Bulger case is is something in in in, in more recent years that, mm. that people might remember, where where it's a kind of moment where you know the ideas about childhood you know childhood as being innocent are completely. Um, Completely kind of uh, torn apart, and 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 with the Moors murders again, that that people could 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 uh, as a kind of game with a kind of sexual undercurrent, take children, torture them, and and, and so forth, um, and and it hit hit people, and so it became I think very resonant for for Nuttall. It crops up in quite a few of his works, mm. including his, his fiction, where it becomes the apotheosis of you know of evil. It's something there, but it becomes yeah very much connected to as you mentioned the the the, the kind of the state and and the kind mm. of you know and, and how do you in essentially saying one of the, the the questions becomes is is this horrific act that the, of the of the moors murders that's you know that's awful of course but look what the state's done in terms mm. of that you need the figures that you mentioned at the beginning with with hiroshima and nagasaki so. well that's actually it's it's one of the things that the comparison reminded me of I mean, it kind of cuts in two directions as a comment on the morse murders themselves and it also being possibly he's drawing it under the umbrella of something we've not really talked about yet which is this idea of the psychopathic now mm. uh, which maybe we could we could mention in a minute but um but sort of leading up to that, another thing that it reminded me of was um, a subject that uh, Juliet um, has done a show on before uh, on the work of Peter Watkins and in uh, the war game right at the end, the sort of, although it's the, the war game, which is Peter Watkins' um, film about uh, the uh, a nuclear bomb falling in, in Kent, I think it is, um, but uh, sort of made in... Uh, I suppose sort of before this, but um, imagining a similar sort of scenario, and the um, the end point of that is just this this scene of a uh, some some children. Uh, well, actually, first off, they're, they're asked sort of what they want to be, what they want to become, and they they basically don't want to have a future. And the most striking moment mm. of the film is when you see children who have no no sense who don't want to live anymore basically and then you kind of see them uh listening to silent night being played on an, on a broken gramophone um Good. but the uh so yeah um, there'll be more on that in juliet's show about it but um that all being part of you know a culture being truly sick if it's doing this to its children um and is kind of within the as I said the umbrella of the psychopathic now idea that maybe I don't know would it, one of you want to take that on and sort of explain what Nuttall means I'd, by that mm. but maybe you can do that just before that though I think it's I think it's important to to recognize that he was also uh, Nuttall was very critical of the way that the Moore's murders had been kind of mediated yeah. right and it was mm. it was a kind of um a sort of frothing public interest 
that um, he was he was also very critical of that, mm. that, that kind of piqued his interest in, in some ways that um, maybe there was a kind of um, like vi- vicarious participation in transgression that mm. he, he thought the public might be experiencing through this kind of, kind of thrill, participation yeah. in, in in a media narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah I I I think that's absolutely right. I think um, it reminded me again of of Mailer, You know, in in the White Negro, he talks about. Um, the hipster mm. being being psychopathic and, and being disconnected. Not the hipster that we think of today, not the kind of shortage hipster, but the kind of in the, in the kind of way that it was described by um, Anatole Broyard in, in in the late nineteen forties. Part of there's a kind of history of of, mm. of that. Um, but yeah, but that sense of nowness. I mean, the the Nuttall writes about it as being um, this moment being a perpetual noon of decisions, every action crucial being possibly final. So this sense of 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 that that kind of um, awareness that the, there might not be any future and what that does and he and he says very explicitly you know art lives when values melt um, if if you want to exist you must accept the flesh in the moment and that's that's fascinating I think that idea of the you know the flesh in the moment it, it's not something that becomes abstracted it becomes something that's mm. that's deeply material and, and physical mm. and sensual. So that's, I mean, it sounds in that formulation it sounds quite religious. It, uh, yeah, the, the it, absolutely. Now, yes, quite, I mean yes. A, another relationship is the, the book's relationship to religion is quite a kind of strange one. The, that's a, that's an ex- excellent point. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, there is something, um, uh, I, I, and there's a thing that crops up in some of his works as well, where you've got that there's a kind of um, uh, there's the Holy Spirit in in, in, in in that crops up in one of his novellas, and there's various um, sort of undercurrents of religion. Mm. Absolutely. I think I think one thing though that. That, that really strikes me about Nuttall is that and, and so there's the idea of the, the psychopathic now this sense of, 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 of nowness which is absolutely crucial but it doesn't slip into the nihilism that you find in Burroughs and Trocchi mm. um, there's something he's still there kind of having a pint um, playing pool in the pub you know keeping some of his spirits um, up and I think you know, in, in, there's, there's, in some of the editorials in my own mag are very revealing. And he says, for example, you know, I don't want to, unlike some of my peers, I don't want to destroy the world. I'd like it here, he says in, in Shousey Capitals. Uh, and, and that idea of, of uh, which is very different to, to what Burroughs in was starting to suggest in the 60s, that, that actually that there could be, perhaps should be a kind of complete evisceration of, of, of society. And, and, and Nuttall was pulled back from that. Mm. He, he's uh, he's got a kind of positivity. There, there was um, some, someone I I met um, w- would see Nuttall in the pub. He he was performing in a play. Uh, it is this this person is a, is, is quite a well known playwright now in, in Liverpool from Liverpool. Anyway, see Jeff in in the pub, um, and and um, he would go over to him and, and and say say hello. And every every day the next day Jeff would say. Um, who the fuck are you? And then it would carry on every every day, kind of thing. And then and was one day he was in the crossword. And this is very much what how Jeff was like. He was, he was about to go on, you know, five pints before he goes on stage. He's doing the crossword and he can't. He's like three down, four across, can't get it. And so so this the playwright shouts out and says, I've, I think I've got it. And Jeff says again, Who the fuck are you? <laughs> there's a kind of, but there's a kind of like even then. I think it's a nice illustration of him being sociable. He's in the pub and he's sort of joining, but also can be antagonistic and kind of, mm-hmm. and and you know this player doesn't know whether he was being was he deliberately misremembering every day? Was he getting so drunk that he couldn't remember? Um, but there's a kind of, so so I think you know that 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 um, that sense of, of of being sociable of 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 being surrounded by people, but also. Mm being uh you know antagonistic where, where he mm. felt it was mm. needed and that's reflected in his work yeah I, I was gonna the thing that comes out of that for me in a way is um is how with, with Nuttall and, and Cobbing and and some of their associates that the suburban became this kind of enclave right like where yes. you could you could retreat to the suburbs mm. to kind of um get away from the internecine conflicts of the kind of metropolitan counterculture and then create these communiques that sort of feed back into that culture but yeah because when when, because he moved uh as i understand it he moved uh to to todmorden in uh Mm. in lancashire and uh to uh to wales then i think but at the moment he wrote bomb culture is he he still where's he living then bomb uh, bomb culture i think he's in he's just moved out of london and then he so at one point i've certainly i've seen letters going back and forth between burroughs and um 
Nuttall and Burroughs is writing sometimes from Gibraltar but mostly from Tangier. Nuttall is writing from Hibana. So there's a kind of wonderful <laughs> kind of, uh, you know. Uh, so, you know, he's going to move that to suburbs. And then he uh, lives in Tomberdon, loved it around there. Uh, um, so he's very, again, he was very, he was always very involved in um, the local art scenes and, you know, nationally and, 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 and locally, but also playing 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 music. And I think I think that when he died in Amagaveni uh, in 2004, he, I think he'd been playing that day, you know, mm. and, and playing the cornet, and, and sort of so that that kind of culture was very important to him. But, but that kind of working class pub culture was as valid to him as as uh, sort of aspects of avant garde art are to, to others. You know, mm. it's a kind of I think he very much you know, you know held on to that. I mean, that's certainly something that is, I mean, probably a large subject we don't have time to go into at the moment. But the uh, the toggling between uh registers of high and low low culture mm. in the book um you know putting that i mean we've touched on that in the sense that you know he's one moment talking about picasso and then mm. he might also mm. be talking about some of uh, newspapers or, or pop music in the beatles and that was a very sort of 60s moment um i suppose as we kind of draw to a close uh first off is there, is there anything huge that we haven't talked about that you want to, want to mention quickly I, th I think that's mostly uh, we've kind of covered the, the yeah. most things I think because I, I wanted to ask about uh, in, in this particular edition the um, I mean it's probably good that we don't have time to talk about them that much because they can speak for themselves uh, and listeners can can uh, can read them in the book but um, bringing in a foreword by Ian Sinclair and afterward by Maria Fusco how did how did that come about what was the sort of well I, <laughs> I can ask the Sinclair really. yeah. I I, I, I um, so I, I Curated so Jay Jeff Jones is my good friend of mine and collaborator and we we, we create an exhibition of, of, of Nuttall's work and then on the back of that for the Manchester Literature Festival I suggested doing a talk on the kind of British counterculture then and now you know tiny topic and um, so I invited Ian Sinclair and Barry Miles Barry Miles the the kind of chronicler of of everything in the sixties really um, so that was great so I just chaired it and they they did that and, and then I said to Ian was a little bit critical of the book, uh, but obviously liked mm. bits of it. But you know, if you think like a, like a kind of petulant child that you kind of, you kind of still got a soft spot for. So I, 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 I caught him slightly off guard, and 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 um, he was very generous about it. He said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And so I followed it up with a, you know, I, I remember on, on that day they said you would do it, and, and he was great <laughs> about it. Uh, Maria, you got in contact with? Would yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd been a fan of Maria's work for a, for a while, and and done a residency with her in uh, Edinburgh a few years back. But I just remember her her take on bomb culture was was short and acerbic, which was almost but not quite unreadable. Yeah. Um, so I asked her to expand on that and maybe kind of take into account the sort of libidinal kind of lyricism of of Nuttall, which yeah. I, I, she's a fantastic short form writer and just yeah, oh, you have yeah. to get the book too. To yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think they they bookend it quite nicely. Um, we're talking of bookends because I think there's a story about Sinclair going and, buy and buying some of Nuttall's library. I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he went. He, he um, Nuttall was um, moving to Portugal, I think, and had lots of. And he was didn't know what to do with some of his stuff. And and the various people that I've met have had some of his stock. And uh, yeah, I think um, Sinclair went went in his Volvo. Uh, <laughs> he, he makes uh, a point about um, the poets becoming dealers, doesn't he? Yes, with the yes. kind of small uh, small yeah. press books all of a sudden attaining this astronomical yeah. value, and then. They're able to sort of support themselves. Well, themselves. no longer anymore because because <laughs> bomb culture is reissued, <laughs> reissued by Stranger Tracks and all, all good, all good, <laughs> reputable and disreputable bookshops. Uh, <laughs> thanks very much, uh, Jamie and Douglas. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Um, Douglas Field and Jamie Sutcliffe, uh, respectively editors and uh, publisher of Bomb Culture by Jeff Nussle and a new edition by Stranger Tractor Press. Um, we'll post lots of links uh, as usual uh, when the show is up on uh, Twitter and SoundCloud, um, following up on some of the things we talked about. I think we probably won't get them all because we really did talk about a lot <laughs> of things. Uh, but. I've been Tom Overton, and for next week's show, uh, Juliet uh, is joined in the studio by Fatima Ahmed and Owen Haverly to talk about rethinking George Orwell. Uh, yeah, and there will also be lots of links posted on there. So thanks very much for listening.
This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.